0: And today, guys, we are rewinding all the way back to January the 23rd, 2009, episode 128, Turning a Home into a Homestead. I believe this was, if I'm not incorrect, it was the second time I did this subject, and it became a recurring meme on the Survival Podcast. It became something that inspired hundreds and hundreds of people to start taking that step that I talked about with you yesterday, that first step. Whether it was putting the finances in order, building the deep pantry, starting to grow your own food, developing a skill set, whatever it was, it became a recurring theme that made people say, I want to take an action. And if you haven't noticed, that's what this week's really been about so far. Taking actions, doing something, anything, get started. I don't care what direction you take a step in as long as it's not backwards. Unless you're on the wrong path, man. Maybe you need to back up a step or two. Don't get everything too literally. But this show, this particular show, hit people so hard that it actually, it actually got actions taken I never expected. Uh, they don't do this show anymore. But Johnny Max and the Queen, as they're known, a pretty, pretty, uh, uh, I guess, uh, infamous uh, micro micro brewery uh, guy. Johnny Max you can maybe call it more of a nano brewery. Um, they had a huge show on home brewing. Uh, one of the, I think, actually, still to this day, the biggest show ever that was ever uh, done as a podcast on, you know, brewing your own beer and stuff at home. And they decided to branch out and do another show called the Self-Sufficient Homestead. And, and their entire concept with it was taking your home and turning it into a homestead. And when that happened, I had people going like, "Are they ripping your material off?" I'm like, "Hell no! They're taking my material and running with it." By the way, they talked to me about it. I don't care. Good. And, and that is because this message hits to the heart of the problem in America's mentality today. I talked about my grandparents, and as you can tell, I have a deep-rooted appreciation for these people. But my father and his brothers grew up in a home that was built in the 1870s. It was part of a multi-house community where you know, your uncle lived there and your brother lived over there and you, you, your in-laws were up there. I mean, that's just how Jonestown, Pennsylvania was. And the, the, the families came there, and, and, and actually that house was the first house that like multiple families lived in this little-ass house. And they branched out from there and, and built out a lot of the other houses that were built after that. And my 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 grandfather, when he met my grandmother when they were very young and eventually it became clear that they would be something and get married, he actually bought the house from someone on her side. I don't remember if it was her father or her, her uncle. And they bought that house during the Great Depression on a mortgage for like I think it was eight hundred dollars. And it was this, and actually the house had a thing next to it we called a shanty, which was like a shed. That was the first house. And then the part they lived in was the house that was built after the shanty was the place that housed everybody. And so that house was bought in, I think, 32, something like that. And uh, maybe it was 36, I think 1936 seems to ring a bell, and soon after that, World War II started, and my grandfather was drafted into the Navy in his 20s, right? I mean, we don't even think about that, how people that were really deep into their lives were drafted in World War II. And he came home from the war, and they set about having children, and um, they had my father and his younger brother and the older brother, and they lived in that house all the way through to the end of their lives and my father still lives in that house today because it was valued and i've talked about it before but you know we produced food there we had i mean there was just so much that went on and there was such a community interaction and you you almost couldn't get people to move because they looked at their neighborhoods and they said but this is this is everything that matters to me well there's you know they're building these big beautiful houses down the road. I don't care. if people living in these houses they have been paid off for 30 years or more. These people looked at their homes and realized I could sell this house for 80 or ninety thousand. This is back in the 80s, right? Maybe 70. I paid a thousand dollars for my house and it's worth seventy thousand dollars. I'll never sell it. I could never afford to do this again. And when people moved they moved you know if the way you ended up with a house selling was somebody passed away, and generally uh, a sibling took it if the, none of the siblings wanted it. the siblings if the siblings had moved away or the children had moved away or already found housing, then that house would go up for sale and it's taken twenty five years to where since that kind of process started with with children leaving because there was no jobs. Now that community, the houses are there, and the, the, the people all don't know each other. And that is a, a symptom of this larger problem that the house now is a liability instead of an asset. When people buy a house today, they don't think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this house, I'm going to fix it up, I'll add on to it, I'm going to do whatever, and I will live here with my family for the rest of my life. And I don't think you have to absolutely be there. Those of you who know me know I've owned quite a few houses, sold them, I've made some money, I've moved up in life. But the concept of people buying basically packaged houses for hundreds of thousands of dollars because they can get mortgages that don't even make sense, for someone to be spending 25 or 30% of their income on a mortgage payment, does it, it doesn't make sense. The fact that it's possible is only because of government intervention and because of that we have lost this rooting in our homes and when we lost the desire to be there because we were spending you know 2 hours or more a day in what i call mobile metal coffins that's your car your commute back and forth to work where you slowly die and expend your dash We lost, and as we lost that desire to be there, we lost that desire to make something of it. Instead of instead of I want to create a way that this place pays for itself, that this way provides for my family, we became providers to it. The whole thing's messed up. We spend ninety percent of our time away from a house so that we can afford to provide for it, when the whole point of a house is to become a home so that it provides for shelters and takes care of us. We stopped seeing it as a homestead, a place to be, and started seeing it as an investment, as a stepping stone to something new. Well, even if we're going to like take that into account, and we should, because you, you buy a major asset, you should have an exit strategy. We've had these insane rising in property prices, and this, this insane desire... To create HOAs to make everything stay the same and never change so the property values will continue to go up and then we grow our children into their 20s and we lament that they can't afford a house that we created the environment where they can't afford to buy something in. But hey, our bottom line looks better. It all comes and it all stems from not being willing to look at a domicile and say, I want this to be the place not just that I come home to But the only place that I really feel like I am at home. I don't want a status symbol. I want a place that when my family comes to, they feel welcome. And they feel provided for. And they feel protected. And you only get there. You only get there with a mental switch. And that switch being, how do I make this provide for me? How do I stage and stack investments into the property rather than see the property as an investment? When I plant a tree, I should see multiple yields from that investment. I went out and I bought a tree for $30. I put an hour's work into planting it. I set up some irrigation so I don't have to do much. I'll have a couple dollars a year into taking care of it. In 10 years, my yield is beauty, it's shade, it's flowers in spring, it's colorful leaves in fall. It's fruit or nut. It's maybe habitat. Maybe it's a trellis for other things I can eat, like beans. And lastly, if somebody wants to buy my property, it increases the property value because there's a big, beautiful tree in the backyard. And when we take and we make that switch, we start looking around and saying, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? Real estate's a fabulous investment. It really is. There's all types of ways to partake in it, and your own personal real estate being an investment is fine. Here's the thing, though. You you work on making that home into a homestead, you may find you don't want to see it that way anymore. You want to see it as a personal investment rather than a flippable investment. But even if you want to flip it and move up, I promise you, even though we put that in the, the last category, those trees, those systems of support, the beauty, the warmth... All of that will make it worth more to the next person that will come along. So there's no reason to not take this walk. And as I said, it starts with one step, as long as that one step is forward. Here we go, January twenty third, 2009, Jack Spierko from the Personal Mobile Studio, the 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI, episode 128, turning a home into a homestead.
1: On to the subject now of home to homestead. Now, I think when I say homesteading, what most people immediately think of is like the 1800s. And they think way back to the pioneer days. And you think of this guy that went out and got his forty or eighty acres somewhere and he cleared some of it and he built a you know, built a shack basically and that shack over time became a home. It became a house. But he had to build it slowly because he didn't just you know, you didn't call up, you know, CNC builders or Joe's custom building back in those days, especially out on the prairie and out in the wilderness. You there wasn't anybody that would just show up, pour a foundation one week and stick your house the second week, throw a roof on it the third do the finish in the fourth, and you had a house built in a month. Uh, Even if you had money in these areas, you didn't get a house built built that fast. So there's, you know, and then they think, okay, you know, modern homestead, you think of, you know, Farmer Joe, and he's got some pigs, and uh, he's got some hogs, and he's uh, got as much of a self-sufficient lifestyle as he can, but he's somewhere out in the country. That's homesteading. Well, uh, neither of those things is not homesteading, but to think of it that way is extremely limiting. And it also, in our community, in the survivalist community, we, think, we seem to think that a homestead also must by its very nature be a remote bug out location type of place. A place that if I didn't live there, I sure as heck would want to go to if uh, the shit hit the fan in, in the cities and I had to get out of here. And again, that type of place is not something that isn't a homestead. But it's not the only thing that's a homestead. To me, there's one key difference between having a house or a home and then having a homestead. And it is simply, who is the producer and who is the consumer in the relationship And this is kind of my problem with government. Government should not be a consumer. Government should be in servitude to the producers, which are me and you and every other taxpayer out there. And we should be consuming our own production. Instead, we have government consuming our production and redistributing it. Well, that's become like what. Like, like the minuscule piece of every system in place today is based on the same philosophy. It used to be that when you had a home, it was a homestead. You were, the, you were the consumer of the resources of your home. Your home provided you a place to grow things. It provided a roof over your head. It kept you warm in winter and cool in summer. It provided for you, and you took, partook of its bounty. And and you might think, well, I go to my home every night, and it keeps the rain off of my head, and it keeps my kids a nice place to live, and, uh, you know, that's exactly what I have. But you probably don't. Because you have something that the pioneers didn't, and Farmer Joe, if his farm's been handed down from generation to generation, probably doesn't. That's called a mortgage. That's called a mortgage. And as soon as you have that mortgage, and, folks, I'm not mortgage-free myself, but it's not really the mortgage that makes your house a complete consumer. It's how big is that mortgage? Can you afford that mortgage? We have people whose mortgage payments are 50% or more of their, their monthly income every month. And then you're going to pay that payment for 30 years to pay the house off. If they're lucky, a lot of these people are in these hybrid loans and things like that. And they might pay that payment for 40 years. That person is not in a relationship where they are the consumer. They're in a relationship where they are the producer in the home as the consumer. And there's nothing wrong with being a producer. Trust me, I, you, and many of our fellow Americans wish more people were producers instead of consumers. Right? We wish all those most consumers on welfare would understand that the check they get every month to sit around on their dead ass and do nothing makes them a consumer and that check is a gift it's a gift given to them against our will by me and you and many other americans who work our ass off to provide them that free gift that they look at is what they have coming to them right so it's not bad to be the producer in society it's How attached to consumers are you and how much control do you have over which consumers are taking away your resources? And one thing you do not want to be a primary consumer in your life is your home. What you want a home to do is take on the role, or at least part of the role, of being a producer for you. And how do we do that? Well, the first thing we do is we don't overpay for our houses. See, that old pioneer back in the 1800s that went out and cleared the wilderness and built his house didn't have a mortgage when he got there. Now, it was harder for him because, again, you know, Joe's Custom Builders couldn't show up and build him a house, and you couldn't get concrete out there, and you had to basically either take from the land or go out and procure whatever you needed to even build a house. I mean, it was hard to get a hold of nails. I mean, one of the things you might buy in the northeast or the southeast before you headed west was a giant bucket of, you know, a drum, a barrel of nails. Because when you got out there, you're wanting a nail store. It might not even have been a sawmill. You might have had to, that's why there were so many log cabins. It wasn't because people thought they were cool and rustic. There wasn't a sawmill around in a lot of these places. These things were built to turn the logs into board lumber, which would have made construction a heck of a lot easier. So along with all that, how did they get the land? Well, most of the land was available for claim. So these guys went out and laid claim to land, and it might have cost them a couple dollars. Even if they had to buy land, land was very affordable in the West. The government made sure of it because they wanted the West settled. So a guy could work in a factory, live kind of poor for a year, save up some money, go West and claim, or or buy a piece of land, and pretty much just start to eke out an existence. So by that very nature, this guy did not have a mortgage. He didn't go see, you know, J. Paul Getty and get a mortgage before he headed West Wagon. That's not very realistic anymore today. It doesn't make a lot of sense to say I'm going to rent an apartment until I have enough money to pay cash for a house. Because you're going to pay so much in rent, you could probably buy a house for about the same or a little bit more than you're paying in rent if you're smart and if you don't convince yourself you need to be where the up and coming neighborhood is with the best schools with a view of downtown so you can get on the train every day to go to work. And there's shops and you know this nonsense you hear when you watch these real estate shows with chicks like Suzanne Wang going Mark and Susan are up and coming yuppies in Chicago but they're they're you know they're Their freaking apartment isn't big enough for them and little Fluffy the dog anymore. And you see them with, you know, buying a row house. What the hell is the difference for Fluffy the dog with a row house? And they're buying them in these trendy neighborhoods, and they're buying a 1,200-square-foot row house in some area of upscale Chicago for $700,000, right? So... I don't think that anybody listens to this show is that idiot. I really don't. But I do think that we probably have people listening to this show that are sitting around looking at a house going, yeah, we paid a quarter million for this place and... We didn't have the money, and we should have done that. If you're in that situation, you have to figure a way out. You either have to increase your income or you have to back out of the situation somehow. And it sucks right now that it's hard to sell your house. And I I am so sorry if you're stuck in a house you can't sell. I, I really am. I don't say that to patronize anybody. That's the situation a lot of good Americans are in. A lot of people didn't overpay. They didn't buy what they couldn't afford, but just right now would like to geographically move. Maybe they lost a job, and they could get a job five states over, and uh, but to do that, they got to move. Well, they can't sell their house for what they owe on it, even if they made a 10% down payment, even if they haven't ever missed a payment, even if they had a 30-year fixed-rate loan, and even if they've been in the house for five years. There's a lot of Americans in that situation, and I feel bad for you if that's you. And that's why if you're thinking about buying land or buying a home anytime soon, you really need to evaluate it in the way that I'm giving you today. Will it produce for you? So the first thing we've got to do is we got to minimize that mortgage. I think we've said that enough. We've beat that horse till it's dead. Let's, let's move on. The next thing we have to do is say, what can this house do for me? What can I make it do for me? How much grass is in my backyard? You know, How much Bermuda grass or Raleigh St. Augustine grass do I have out there? And is that useful to me at all? So the next thing is gardening and permaculture combined. Planting gardens, planting grapevines, planting trees that produce fruit. I mean, I want you to do an experiment for me over the weekend. This is a Friday show. So over the weekend, just commit to yourself right now. And if you listen to the show in the future, commit to yourself for the next 48 hours. This is what you're going to do. Every time you get in the car and drive around. I want you to look at every house you see, and I want you to just kind of run a mental tally in your head of how many trees are planted in the houses you drive by over the weekend. All right? You might think that's crazy, but try to do it. You're not going to get every one of them, Don't Just try to, you know, this Sunday night. Me thinking, you know, I didn't only drove a little bit and went to church or went to the mall or whatever it was this weekend, and. I saw a thousand trees, at least, that were planted in people's yards. And I want you, if you know trees, to look at them and ask yourself, how many of them produce something somebody could eat? A fruit, a nut, a berry. Anything that's edible. Anything that's useful. Anything that's functional. Anything that freaking matters. And I want you to ask yourself, how many pearless pear trees, Bradford pear trees, did I see? You know, and, and cypress trees are pretty trees, but that's something people are planting a lot lately. You can't eat a cypress. You know, how many... Uh, Japanese pistachios or Chinese pistachios that don't produce pistachios how many trees will you see that have been if they do produce anything genetically altered or not really genetically altered selectively bred to no longer produce fruit or nuts because the people view the fruit or the nuts or the berries as a pain in the ass something that falls on the ground has to be picked up And then ask yourself, how many people in this country are hungry right now? And I don't mean starving to death. We don't have a lot of people starving like Somalia in this country. But it's some rural, poor neighborhoods. There's some kids out there right now that, you know, they don't go to bed with a full belly every night. And in urban environments, we have the same thing. We have poor people in this country that don't have enough food. And ask yourself, how much food can we produce? If every one of those trees... The hell with that. 5% Five percent or ten percent of those trees produced food. Don't have to do anything special, you know. Go out and cut that. Okay, guys, got four Bradford pears. Cut two of them down. Plant a real pear and a peach tree. Next guy over, cut one of his trees down. Put in a pecan. You don't need any more land. You don't need any building permits. You don't need any zoning permits. Just start replacing all these useless trees with trees that produce something that people can consume. And we don't have to do all fruit and all nut and all berry trees. I mean, preserve diversity. There's value in these other trees from the from a biological standpoint. But if we made 10% of the trees in suburban America producers instead of consumers, what would that mean? And you can't do it. You can't get your neighborhood to do it. And the people won't do it. You go into uh, like a Lowe's or a Home Depot or a nursery in, a, in the height of the growing season in spring. You see three or four rows of fruit and nut trees. And you see thousands and thousands of you know fruitless pears and cypress and oak and holly and all this other crap. And you ask the guy, why don't you guys have more variety of fruits and nuts? Why well, you have more in quantity? Some of these kind of look ragged. i, I, I want a little bit better, healthier of a tree. I don't have much of a choice here. What's the deal? And they say, we can't sell them. Nobody buys them. This is as much as we stock, and, and by the end of the season, we're not even going to get rid of all of these. We won't sell them all. Come back in September, I'll make you a hell of a deal on what's left over come back in november there still might be some i'll make you a real good deal then and you realize that americans have just turned away from things that produce they want ease of maintenance right we don't want the, the annoyance of having to go pick up produce off a tree in our yard and i'm telling you to be different plant that apple tree plant that pear tree plant that plum tree plant a couple grapevines You know how many grapes you get off one well-trained vine? It's amazing. Plant some of these permanent crops and run a garden in your backyard. That's the first and easiest step that you can do. I don't care if you live on a tenth of an acre, two acres, or a hundred acres. No matter who you are, no matter how much you have or how much you think you don't have, you have the ability to produce something if you own any type of land. So one of the things you need to be asking yourself when you're looking at property isn't just, is it far enough away from everything if the apocalypse comes? Because some people aren't going to live out in the country. That's what I keep saying on this show. Some people like to live in the suburbs. That's fine, live in the suburbs. Do you have a nice sunny area for a garden in that house you're thinking about buying? Is the slope right? Will it will it work well for you? Is there some places where you can plant some trees? might have to remove some stuff to do that, but can you you make some level of food production possible for you? That's what you have to evaluate in the home that you already have or the home that you're thinking about buying. Back in the financial side for just a second, um, you have to also look at not just your debt on your mortgage, but your total debt in your lifestyle. And what you'll find is that a mortgage that seems like it's crushing you financially, if you didn't have two MasterCards maxed out, and department store credit card max out, your mortgage might be a lot easier to make. And if you didn't have two new car payments with full coverage insurance on them and all these other things. So one of the things you can do if you're in that stuck mortgage situation, you just can't sell. Look at the other debts in your life. How can you eliminate them? How can you reduce them? So that's kind of my last on the money aspect of things. But I wanted to throw that in there as I made another transition because it's important to understand that when you look at a financial situation and you put your your face into your hands and you sigh and you think, man, I'd like to do everything this guy's talking about, but I'm just stuck. There's no way out. And I'm going to be miserable for years, and I can't do these things because I screwed up. And I'll admit that I screwed up, but no one's coming to bailing me out. And I don't want anybody to bail me out, but God, I have to suffer through this. No, you don't. No you don't. Now you're going to have to go through some hard stuff. Sometimes you're going to you're going to end up in that position with your face in your hands. But you're not stuck. There's always creative solutions. There's always a way to come up with a little bit more money if you really think about it. There's always a way to eliminate debt. There's always a way to negotiate a lower payment. There's always a way out. It's not the snap of the fingers. It's not everything is better overnight, but there are always ways to make your situation better. So please, you know, practice the debt snowball philosophy. Take your smallest debt, find every extra penny you can and kill it. And then take all of that money and put it on your next debt and keep doing that. Get rid of debt and that will help you with, you know, a mortgage is not a terrible debt as long as it's one you can afford and one you can afford if you lost your job for six months. And you really have to look at it that way. You have to have enough reserves that, you know, if you had to pay your bills for six months, you could do it. Once you're there, finding a new job is never hard. Just like we talked about food this week. As long as you have reserved food, even if you can't go out and get more at the store tomorrow, eventually getting more is always easy. It's when you're out that you're screwed. So think about that. The next thing I think you need to really be thinking about with a home is how energy efficient can you make it. Before you even worry about a solar panel, before you think about geothermal heating or cooling, uh, before you think about wind power, before you think about any type of green energy alternative, think simplistic. How much insulation is in your attic? You don't need to pay somebody to come out and increase the amount of insulation in your attic. Uh, get one of your buddies to come over, buy them a six pack of beer for doing it for the day. Go down to Home Depot, buy some insulation for you know, measure your roof. Go down there, they'll help you, and put in another layer of insulation. Put a radiant barrier in your home. All right? Radiant barrier is basically a cool little foil-looking barrier with some foam on it that you nail to the inside of your roof. It's not hard to install. If you want to pay somebody to do it, that's fine. And, and, and if you're not handy or if you, you're not equipped to do that kind of work, fine. You know, you might need to pay somebody. But it's fairly inexpensive. And if you're a handy type of person, you can get it done. You can probably, instead of paying like a contractor, you know, get your yellow pages. see if you can find a local handyman, an independent guy. He might take two and a half weeks to do a job that the contractor can do in two days. But you're doing business locally. You're doing business with an individual. And, you you know, maybe you can do business in cash and no one has to know any more than that, and I'll leave it at that, and you're spending your money truly locally that way, but taking those types of steps, you know, replace your light bulbs, I mean, when the when the compact fluorescent light first came out, I hated it, folks, I looked at it and said, this is the gayest looking stupid little light, I mean, this is, God, And I go into somebody's house to put them into, like, a ceiling fan with the sconces. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Well, it saves money. I don't care. It looks goofy. And then I thought, well, you know what? You can get sconces that hide it. Or they have now for, like, that kind of use where it's an open fixture. It's a compact fluorescent, but it's got, like, a a bulb around it so you don't see it that way. And then every place else, you don't really see them. Just put them in there. And they will save you a ton of money. They use so much electric- less electricity for the amount of light that they put out. So take and look how you can improve the electrical efficiency in your home. You know, simple things like turning off appliances. When you leave the house, uh, don't leave your cell phone charger plugged in. Common sense things to reduce the expense of your electric bill and your other utility bills. If you're on gas or, you know, if you have an old house with a cold Or whatever it is, anything you do to reduce the amount that you're burning reduces the amount that you're paying, and now your house is more of a producer and less of a consumer. Because what it consumes is your energy in the form of cash, in the form of money. Right, when you go to work, what most people don't realize is when they pay you that check at the end of the week or every two weeks or once a month or however you're paid, all that money is is a symbolic representation of the energy that you put into your job every day. And your time. Money we've collectively agreed upon is worth a certain amount, and that's it. It's a symbol for your energy. So that's your time. That's your effort. For many people, it's 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week of your life force, your life energy that's being consumed. It's precious. It's not precious because we love money. It's precious because we love the gift of life. That's what's being sucked up. Think about it that way. Also, then then once you get your efficiency up, now you start saying, does it make sense to install a solar system here? There's huge, huge tax incentive this year. If you put up a $10,000 solar system this year, It'll cost you $8,000. And that's not funny math or voodoo or anything like that. You put in a $10,000 solar system this year, and when you file your taxes for 2009, you get $2,000 of it back from the government. And that is a huge incentive. And you have to say, okay, if it's going to be eight grand, how much electricity do we use? How long is it going to take to pay itself back? And if it takes 10 years to pay itself back, that's still a pretty good return of investment. Because now when you go to sell your home, your home's worth more money. Absolutely worth more money. And if you do stay there, after 10 years, it's a 100% ROI every day that that thing is up and running. And now you have the ability, once you have that system in place, to continue to expand it and make it bigger and make it more effective. Once you have a basic solar system in place, adding more panels and adding more batteries to your system is a lot less expensive than the first time that you do it. So after 10 years, you could maybe add some more panels. Maybe over those 10 years, you add a panel a year until you double the capacity of the system. And and each additional add-on will cost you less. And in time, the cost of doing that is going to go down. So, yes, alternative energy. The other thing is, you know, can you install wind energy at your house? And there's some pretty good little wind generators out there that sell for under a 1000 bucks. It's more about how much it costs to have it wired into your home through an inverter and back to the grid or if it's standalone or whatever uh, than it is to put up a little windmill. There's a lot of them out there that are very, very affordable. So start looking at how maybe you can install a combination of solar and wind energy into your home. But only after you've first gotten control of your debt, either paid off your home or paid it into a situation where your mortgage payment is not a problem at all for you anymore. That if you lost your job, you could go a few months of paying your bills and you would be okay. Then, after that, you start looking at, you know, beyond the basics, how can I improve the efficiency? Once you have the efficiency improved, now you go and you start to look for these alternative energy sources. But with that in mind, even though if that's going to be a five-year process for you, and you're looking at buying the house today to have a good south-facing slope on its roof, that's where you want those solar panels in the future. And I think that, you know, with all these solar incentives that are out there right now, and with the cost of energy, and just because the cost of gas has come down, if you notice your electric bill didn't go down at all, right, that was the excuse. Oh, petroleum, you know, gas, we burn a lot of oil to produce this electricity, blah, 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 blah. Gas comes down, or oil comes down from $140 a barrel to 35 bucks. Yeah, you're still paying the same price per kilowatt hour, ain't you? Right, so those energy prices aren't coming down. So, with the, But the cost of putting the solar arrays in is going to come down. Every time somebody puts one in, it improves production capacity for these industries. And the higher the production, the less the cost of production per unit. So economy of scale takes over. So I think you're going to see in the future, five years from now, I would not be surprised, even if the solar system's not put in yet, that when you read like three bedroom, two bath, two living areas, brick and vinyl, uh, half acre lot, good schools, Large south-facing roof with slight slope. I I don't think that's any stretch of the imagination to believe that that's going to become something people look for in a home, so you start looking for it now. I also don't think two-story home with great potential for wind power generation. I don't think that's a stretch either. I think the solar is going to come first, but those are things to start looking for. I even think great garden spot. Either great garden in place or great spot for a garden. You're going to start seeing a lot more of that. Right now, you go to United Country, a lot of houses you look for there, you see that already, but when you look at Century 21 or Realtor.com or whatever, you don't see that. Look for that to start being more valuable to people. You know, Gerald Salente was right. If you want to take a look at this guy's stuff, he'll see that he's been dead on with his predictions, and he's saying that we're not even beginning to scratch the surface of what we have to deal with right now, going forward, that... By next year, when Christmas comes around, it's going to be more about putting food on the table than gifts under the tree. We even saw a little bit of that this year, but I think that 2009 is going to be a lot harder than a lot of people care to realize right now. I think that a lot of people right now are still sitting around closing their eyes tightly, their fingers tightly jammed into the holes of their ears, and going la 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 la. la. Leave me alone. I still have my job. I'm still paying my bills. I'm driving my shiny car. I have my shiny credit card. MasterCard hasn't cut my limit. I'm happy. Leave me alone. It's not real. It's not real. There's no place like home, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. Folks, it's real. And it's a bad time. And the problem is that people think this is the bad. This is not the bad time. It's going to get worse. It's going to get harder. It's going to get tougher. We are not going to see a recovery in 2009. We may see one in 2010 if our government isn't dumb enough to keep driving us deeper into this. But I'm beginning to have my doubts about that because their solution to crack is to give people methadone. Right? The solution to, to, to bad debt is to give people already ridden with it more debt that's not quite as bad. And it's not going to fix the problem. It's going to make it worse. And the biggest asset that you can come across right now is a piece of property that no matter what happens, you can sustain it. And it can produce for you. And it can provide for you. And the good news, if you haven't bought yet, and you have some money, is that the entire, like I said what happened the entire planet is on sale right now. There is nothing out there today that doesn't have a better deal on it than it had six months ago. And it's got a way better deal than it had 18 months ago. And it's not just property. It's everything from trucks and cars to to boats. And I'll tell you what. I'll I'll let anybody make this challenge to me that they want to. Back in 2007, if you wanted a five-acre place... A three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. You got $100,000. It certainly could be done, but you really had to look. If someone brought me 100000 I have $100,000 free and clear right now. This is what I want. I want a nice fishing boat. It doesn't need to be brand new, but it needs to be nice, good shape, something that's going to be reliable for several years before I have to worry about doing any real work to it. I want a decent pickup truck. Again, it doesn't have to be new, but it has to be in good shape, 100,000 miles or less, well-maintained, good body, good interior. I want all that with it. I want a car because I don't want to always drive the truck, and I need a car, same thing. And I need a house with at least five acres, three bedrooms, two baths, somewhere around the country. And I want to pay for all that with my $100,000. I'd like to have a little bit of money left over. But above all, I want all of that for hundred k. And I don't want to spend a penny more, including taxes, not property taxes, but sales taxes. It would have been tough. I mean, maybe, maybe. I could do that so easy right now your head would spit. All right. Now it might not be the Taj Mahal for a house. It won't be a mansion. It won't be custom built timber framed home. But I'll find you a solid house. I will find you a solid house that you can turn into a homestead. I'll find you a car, a truck, and a boat. I'll get the towing package put on the truck for you, and you give me the differential, and I'll take that as my fee, and I'll probably make ten to fifteen grand. And you might be thinking, you know, I'm crazy, I can't do that for 85 grand. Try me, folks. I'm telling you, that's the kind of deal that's out there. Oh, one more thing. You have to be willing to move to whatever state that I pick for you. Okay? But it will be in the United States. It will be in the lower 48. But that, the point is, that wasn't even possible 18 months ago. And now it's not that hard. It's just not that hard. So if you haven't bought yet, think about this concept, producer or consumer, what is my home? And if you have a home, I want you to look at it and I want you to honestly ask yourself, does this house produce for me or do I provide for it? And most of you, in spite of the fact that you're survivalists, in spite of the fact that you have common sense and brains, in spite of the fact that you live a pretty good life, are probably going to still have to say this house is a consumer. This house is taking more than it gives. Now, the good news is because most of the people that think this way don't put themselves into these hybrid mortgages and they don't go out and have a household income of $60,000 and buy $300,000 houses and then blame somebody else for their stupidity. Odds are you can start to change that equation right now, today. You can take one little step today that turns the balance just a little bit, and you can keep working on it, and you can keep doing it every day. And five years from now, you'll be able to ask that same question, and you won't even have to think about it. You'll say, I've turned this house into a producer. You know the people that get on the philosophy that Dave Ramsey teaches, of the debt snowball: smallest debt first. Every penny I can scrape up, once I have an emergency fund, put away, and I can pay my bills for three months without being em- employed. Every penny goes on debt, the extra debt. I'm eating beans and rice and rice and beans, or whatever's the cheapest food I can. I'm not going to movies. I'm not going to dinner. I'm paying debt. The, from the day they start that philosophy to the day they pay off their mortgage is an average of seven years. No matter what their income is, no matter what happens in the interim, and no matter how much money they owe, the average still comes out to seven years. Now maybe you're like me and you don't think you need your house completely paid off. When I look at my house payment in Arkansas and say eventually I'm going to move there, and the total payment for everything is in the neighborhood of $400, I I look at that and go, you know, I can work part-time at a convenience store, you know, or Walmart as a greeter if I had to, and... And you just pay that bill. So maybe it's about figuring out a way to pay your mortgage down to a certain level where you can refinance and have a very low cost and then your income can go to other things. Instead of tying up that extra $40,000 to pay that last $40,000 of a house off, you have that forty k to do other things with and you have a small payment. It's up to you how you structure that. My only point is it doesn't take as long as people think. We've been lulled into, you're going to have a 30-year mortgage. That's, you know, it Might need to be 40. You're never going to pay your house anyway because you're never going to live there for 30 years. People used to, once a, a young couple in America bought their home. It was sacred. They stayed there for their entire lives. They built a life there. And people would say, Well, you have more money now. What about a bigger house? And they go, Are you crazy? Are you crazy? My children sat on that floor in front of the TV set and did their homework. My, my child took his first steps right there. That tree held a swing that my kid swung on. Oh, no, I'm not selling this house. This house isn't an investment. It's my home. I value it so much more than what the bank says it's worth if I sell it. Besides, we've paid for it now. It doesn't cost us anything. There's my garden. I put food on the table every day from that garden. And I've done it for 20 years. That's my neighbor Joe over there. He's my best friend. When my car doesn't work, he comes over and he helps me. But he doesn't know anything about carpentry and when his roof leaks i go over and i fix it that used to be america folks and when that was america it didn't matter if you were in the country or in the city a home was a homestead. A home was something that provided for you. And it's not just nostalgia. It's not just Norman Rockwell. It is the power of the individual to determine how I expend my resources in my life and what I do with my home. How much I spend on it, what I put into it, and how I choose to view it. If you view your home as your biggest asset, your biggest investment from a financial standpoint, if you look look at your home for what it is on a balance sheet, it will never, ever, ever, ever be a homestead. Ever. It won't happen. You won't let it. You will destroy any opportunity presented to you to make it that way. You'll do it with a home improvement loan. You'll do it by moving to a bigger house. You'll do it with a remodel. You'll kill it. Because it will all be about how much can I pull out of this thing financially. If you look at your home, It's the roof over the head of your family. It's your sacred domicile. It's something that's yours that you would fight to the death to defend. You'll turn it into a homestead. It'll happen on its own. You'll figure out how to make it provide for you. And you will cherish it. This has been Jack Speargo with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.